That is I and Lee. Hey, this is Lee. What are you guys doing? This is Lee, Lee Bot. Lee's actually not here today. This is his robot uh, backup. So, beep up. Good thing we programmed him. <laughs> Anyways, beep up. <laughs> All righty. Well, folks, today uh, we got a longer form podcast, and uh, the focus of today's podcast is going to be the Davos, Davos reports. Uh, I guess kind of all-encompassing idea of the the great reset that we're hearing about. So, um, you know, I think this episode is probably going to be committed more to high-level kind of big ideas. And uh, if you guys would like, um, or we might do it anyways, we you know, kind of a series of these these uh, Davos Davos reports because there's a lot of them and there's a lot to digest. So today we're just going to focus more on the high-level, uh, high-topic like things that. Are being discussed through these reports, and um, and you know I think uh, you know it's some pretty good stuff in there. I th- I think I mean I, I'm keen to some of the ideas. Some of them I, obviously they have to be uh, addressed, uh, tread you know tread lightly while we address them. I think um, and I'm and you know that's that's uh, whatever. That's just kind of my my whole like perspective of this. I think it's in all it's pretty it's a good document or it's good documents, and what they're saying is. I think fair. Um, I just think there, you know, there has to be caution proceeding with the general ideas that they discuss in here. So, uh, you know, um, the the so the Davos reports are, are these documents that came out of a meeting um, that the World Economic Forum hosts every year. Cannot remember. I think it might be called the Davos meeting. I, I don't know what the meeting is called, but basically the World Economic Forum. Um, they're kind of a what I understand is a collective of economists and analysts that they say all global and they, um, uh, you know, basically analyze world economy, global economy, and sort of project things uh, as well at, from an economic standpoint, as well as, um, you know, just report on kind of how they think the future might end up based on the course we're on. Uh, and, and, you know, they've been around for a long time. I don't, I don't know all the details, but like, you know, you might recognize them sometimes they're on Facebook or other media. They have little like two minute videos of blurbs with all these facts, you know, they'll say stuff about, um, you know, like environmental economics as well as, uh, just general economics and world economics. So they've just got a lot of data, uh, lots of commentary on the, you know, world economics. Uh, and it's, it's, I guess ran by, there's, I don't know the guy's name. He's a, he's a German uh, economist and he's the one who I think originally set this up. He's still alive and whatnot. And, uh, so yeah, they have a meeting every year. They have a theme with each meeting, and this year's uh, theme was the Great Reset. So, you'll, I'm sure everyone's been hearing that as a buzzword. A lot of people, you know, kind of get all shaken up. It's, you know, it's exciting too, and there's all this stuff that's happening. It sounds like um, so. These Davos reports sort of try to break down the big movements that are happening through this Great Reset that they're calling it, and uh, sort of kind of try to. Pr- they also try to provide guidance as to you know how to best proceed forward. Okay, so a lot of it's surrounding obvious things like COVID, uh, pandemic, and how to restructure as things are sort of falling apart. Um, so yeah, I think if you want, we can just 
dig into it and kind of like like I said from a high level uh, discuss topics that, that um, these these uh, articles touch on. Lee, All anything right. to say? No, I'm ready. Let's do it. Cool. Um, all right. I mean, the way I so one of the articles that I read, the one I started with, uh, is, is like the because uh, so if you go to the website, it's the weforum.org, or if you just type in you know World Economic Forum or WEF, uh, Great Reset, it should bring you straight to this website that kind of has all these articles. So the the one that I primarily was focused on for this uh, podcast forum is, a, is the Chief uh, Chief Economist Outlook 2021. Um, so they claim that it's, you know, these, these uh, different uh, analyzed perspectives and, and ideas that, that are kind of like a collective of ideas and the big takeaways. That, and they claim that, um, you know, they had private sector involved uh, as well as, you know, government sector and, and all, all it, you know, tried to bring everybody's perspective. Uh, you know, uh, they probably didn't bring laborers. I'm not exactly sure. There may have been unions, but it didn't, I didn't really see that. So that's something that. I would like to know, but um, if I'm wrong, I, that's good. I hope that they brought unions or workers in to talk as well. But from the looks of it, it's kind of you know an elitist, I would, for lack of better terms, call it uh, outlook. Um, and uh, they they basically in this article I, re I read uh, the uh, chief economist outlook 2021 broken down into I think five or so segments, four or five segments, yeah, five segments. Um, as like five primary focuses for what the world should uh, should sort of move towards and start to uh, architect a world developed around like these five ideas. Uh, those being number one, remote work. Number two, growing income inequality. Number three, acceleration and concentration of the digital economy. Number four, bigger government. And number five, deglobalization. So. Uh, from you know, if you look at all these there and read about them, they're all sort of intertwined, honestly. Kind of bounce and, and play around with each other. Um, so yeah, um, you know, I think uh, when they're when they're going into this, that you know, they kind of their mission, so, so to speak, is that uh, they're looking to you know sort of create a new and, and revamped world economy. And rather than trying to go back to what we knew and sort of try to rebuild what we had, they suggest we should like move forward and try to rebuild it in a different way. And there's a few area of, areas of risks, and those five areas of risks are, are the ones that they discuss and talk about policymakers like having to sort of hone in on and focus. So, excuse me earlier, I said that these are like the five things that they promote. It's more or less the five risks that they have uh, um, identified. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you saw the same thing, Lee, or if you read something else. But if that if that's sort of the same things you were talking uh, reading about, then I, I figure we could just kind of go like one at a time these five risks or something and discuss what they have to say about it and whatever else we want. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. And I'll try to be nice to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And I mean, I don't. I don't think honestly. I don't. I don't know. From what I was reading, like I said, you got to tread cautiously. Like, who's involved in these reforms? That's always what you got to worry about. But their general outlook, I don't think, is very. It doesn't seem to be maniacal to me. Like, they're just saying, like, this is what's happening and this is what's been happening in the past. So this is our best course, you know. So, for instance, taking number one, remote work. They're they're basically they discuss how there's uh, reports that show productive productivity of workers has increased by thirteen percent. Do, um, to more activities taking place per minute and like uh, 9% uh, due to people like working longer hours. So 
basically they're saying in, in total, remote work is proving to be more productive, but they note that um, <laughs> the study was done with single people in a room without distractions, and they had like all had fast internet. So uh, uh. their goal is like a hybrid solution since they argue that total isolation restricts the flow of ideas. So they're not calling for like, okay, everyone, you just are stuck in this little cube, and it's not like that dystopian outlook. Um, they, you know, they figure there's, it's just going to be less working in the office. It's just showing like trends are showing that that's just reality, right? So, um, you know, they they say it's a risk, and we should, you know, they discuss more in depth in other articles and a little bit in this one, like how to approach that. So are they thinking working from home itself is a risk or they're saying working from home will bring certain risks? Yeah, basically it'll bring certain risks. And so okay. policy needs to be made, um, you know, around remote work. Like it just has to be like looked at and sort of, you know, cause, cause it's just to go from a, a total, you know, I mean, from at least from where I work, we went from a total, you know, in the office, we were able to work, work virtually one day out of the week which was a blessing, you know, most places didn't have that. And so like, uh, you know, five, but you know, other than that, it was four days in the office and all this stuff. And even on your virtual days, sometimes you'd come in. So, um, I think there's just, you know, for that to just completely shift overnight. I mean, there was just one day we're basically told, yeah, you can't, we can't, we're not going to the office. It's only gonna be two weeks, but obviously it's been way longer than that. I mean, it's been going on over a year now, I think almost up to a year. And so, um, yeah, I don't. I think they're just saying it, it is a risk. You know, we we should we and they're basically suggesting we have to promote uh, reforms and policies. So the, the 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 reason I was saying earlier that we have to tread lightly on this is I saw you know reports from I think it was Deutsche Bank like m months and months and months ago, probably in I don't know if it was like as early as August, but it was August or September or something. I saw uh, you know Deutsche Bank was promoting tax it like taxing people that work from home basically so you know throughout all of these um articles that you know and i think you brought it up too i have sort of an issue with this is like they talk about okay we need to approach this in a sustainable way and we need to do it uh that's like enforcing you know uh good like behavior in people and stuff it's like okay we get that and everybody wants that but like uh when you say like a sustainable way like are you is, is, is your idea of sustainability taxing the crap out of people that work from home so that people that have to go in can get more like money and if that's the case that doesn't seem fair to me i mean like i get that it's a privilege to work from home but at the same time you know it's up to the company that those people work for to like that go in not you know people that have to go into the office i mean i think that should be up to the company to pay them more perhaps government you know increases the minimum wage which like we're seeing um so there's other ways but you know what i'm trying to get at is they they they, they talk about sustainability and they have all these like pretty pretty painted words but it's like well, what is their idea of that what is it you know beneath that again i'm sure they dig into the details in other articles but the ones i've read it's just i'm you know i'm just trying to get a high level uh idea of what's going on so you know they're just saying like remote work is a thing now it's way more prominent um yeah, yeah, I think so, the, uh, it's probably increased by like hundreds of thousands of jobs are now working 100% from home. You know what I mean? So I think a nice part about us addressing each of these risks is we actually live in this world, unlike these people. So right. I, I don't That's know what I don't. Yeah. So I don't know what your experiences with uh, remote working is. I'll just kind of share kind of my thoughts on this because I'm thinking about this. Like I work pretty much exclusively from home right now. Um I can go in 
like if I need to, like they just they don't care. Um, but I find that I can get a lot more done at home, and I am married and I have a kid and have distractions. So um, this is a little more realistic than the the ideal scenario that they presented. But um, the nice thing about working from home and why I can be more productive is I don't have people walking up to my desk randomly to ask me questions they could figure out themselves. Um, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it really cuts down on useless, like, pointless well, chit chat. I, I mean, um, but, but at the same time, if someone's coming to your desk and they're asking for help, like, that's an opportunity for them to grow and productivity could go up aggregately. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, well, they, they never come. They are missing out <laughs> on that, is the thing. I get what you're saying. I've, I've, I've been in that situation where people just want to talk, and I yeah, get that. So, in my experience, at least where I work, it is not to come and learn how to do something. It is they do not want to do it themselves, and they come up and just they know they can ask you and get an answer, and then they can be on their way. It's never about learning. I understand what you're saying, though. In some scenarios, maybe that's the case. This is just my personal experience, um, and we're not. Right. We're not. I'm not. I don't. I just work for kind of like a you know middle of the road company. We're not huge. We're not small. We're just kind of you know. Eh. So like without having that constantly, um, like the people. It, it kind of makes people second guess bothering you because people still they can we have it set up where anybody can remote call me and ask me questions and the people that remote call me actually have like serious like we have to talk about this or i'm trying to understand this blah 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 so it's actually you know beneficial i don't find myself having useless conversations no i agree i think that's the same i would have the same uh thing to say yeah and there's generally, I guess this is, to me, it's like a plus and kind of a minus is that you don't have just kind of the camaraderie chit chat with your your team. It's um, a double-edged sword. For that sure. doesn't exist, which helps increase productivity, but kind of kills morale because like but, I'm just sitting I mean, in my office by myself, like, but I right. have my kid. I can just go. He can cheer me up. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely, there's something to be said about that. I think the, I don't know, the biggest thing I would probably assume at least is commute time reduction and just ability to literally just hop online as soon as you wake up. Like, you could argue maybe, like, you're not as productive if you just roll out of bed because your blood's not, you know, kind of circulating (laughs) if you don't get up and move. And, like, if you're going, you know, if you're going through a routine to get to the office, you're going to be moving around a little bit. So, whatever. Uh, But, I mean, the commute time, I think that's a good thing that it's cutting back on that. Uh less obviously emissions which that you know that's a big thing that they talk about in the davos report is you know just reduction of emissions um as a central idea for the globe uh basically and so i don't know i think that could be part of the you know argument to keep more remote work anyways i digress um so i guess if you want we can move on to the second topic they uh, discuss growing income inequality so already you're fact, moving on already you're moving quick i mean what, what what is there to say about remote work i mean well, what are the risks you know? involved so you know you, you said beneficial you know emissions there there are a lot you know there's more risks that we're not thinking of <laughs> okay, i was just yeah, giving my true. i was just giving my kind of overview like uh i feel like i'm kind of more productive but at the same time it's uh when you're doing tackling a problem that requires more than myself like it's a lot harder to do um, right. So remotely, I mean, like, but it's better to do in person. 
Go ahead. I mean, here's the thing like that I always think about, and it's not like it's a novel idea or anything, but you got to think, okay, right now as it is, there are companies like the one I work for that are still renting out or leasing out whatever they're doing or paying property tax on um, the property that they own, you know, the, the brick and mortar that's there, okay? I mean, so that's that's part, that's something to, you know, consider. Um, I mean, they've been paying for it for a year and yet hardly anyone's been there. I mean, you can go in there. I've been there, but, you know, here, you know, once in a while, but, and every time I go in, one time I was literally the only person on my floor. I mean, it was crazy. It was weird because I work for a big company. So, uh, there was just no one there and the lights were all off. I was the only one making the lights come on as I walked past them. It was weird. Um, and so what, you know, what I'm trying to say is there's, there's more than just, you know, the perspective of like the individual, obviously, but. I just, it's right now as it is, like, are these companies, you know, defaulting on their property and just making the debt grow? If that's the case, they should just quickly say, yeah, we're just going to work remotely, you know, and cut down all that overhead. Um, but, you know, but then there's also the, the suggestion where, like, let's say a business downsizes their building. You know, one time they owned a bunch of land and then they downsize it and they just concentrated into, like, small uh, a small little lot and sold off a ton of other land. And now those... Uh, that land is developed like restaurants. Well, now that stuff's getting less business. So I, I don't know. It, there's definitely benefits to going in. Um, there's you know there's more people are going shopping and you know in their in their like lunchtime to go get you know support local restaurants or whatever it is. Um, and they're not getting that that foot um, traffic. So you know I think from like an individual perspective, like it's better to work from home. Like I would rather work from home. I think. Uh, but there, but there's jobs that obviously require going in. So that's what I think. That's what they're they try they're trying to get at is like, well, there's all these options. So which one are we going to go with? They suggest, from what it sounds like, like a more hybrid um, setting where maybe you go in once in a while, like maybe once a week or something, to kind of collaborate and just say, okay, this is what's going on with my workload. This is what's going on with your workload. Uh, how, how can we, you know, balance this out? Something like that. Because if you're all online, I mean, yeah, well, you can have like online meetings, but a lot of times people don't say anything or, you know what I'm saying? There's kind of like a, being in person almost provoke, like provokes more activity and more response out of people from my experience. That's what it seems like. Otherwise you just have the same few people talking and like to these reports uh, point, you know, there's less flow of ideas. I think I agree with that. So there's risks on both ends, you know, I mean, there's, and there's benefits to both sides. Um, and this is this is my point, and this is why we could do an entire episode on this sub point alone, just talking about working from home. It's extremely complicated, and there's so many facets to it. There's so many advantages and disadvantages, and effects that will happen by doing things one way or the other. And I just feel like these people have not taken the time to really think about it, because if they're trying to come up with a okay, a risk uh, coming up is going to be working from home, we think people should work from home or we think they shouldn't work from home or they propose an idea. Well, that idea is not going to work with um, everybody. Every company is different. It all, it just yes. depends. No, that's, yeah, so I, so it, it seems, I don't know. It just seems silly. I, I, I think they're more just saying like, there's a, this is a looming thing. There are obviously going to be some companies that can manage remote work and there's others that can't like, how do we restructure? I think what they're probably suggesting, like how do we restructure our tax system and how do we restructure our supply chains and how do we structure, re restructure all this stuff so that like, um, you know, I mean, they use the word sustainable. I, I guess what that would mean is so that big companies, medium companies and small companies can all thrive. And why you are, know, why that, are they the best to make that decision? I, well, I don't know. I don't think that's what they're going after. I think they're, they're, 
Well, that's I mean, the thing. See, so, they're, they're so trying to tell us has a lot of what's up. Uh, th that's the thing. Like, are they trying to give us advice or are they just sitting up there just postulating and like, okay, I, like, mean, good for I, you. Don't, I mean, I don't know enough yeah. about them. I mean, they, it, from reading these reports, it sounds like there's, they're urging what they're simply doing what, from like on the surface, at least they're just, yeah, they're postulating. And then they're, they're almost like urging and calling, uh, calling to action, like world powers and organizations and institutions, which I'm telling you, they do dig more deeply into that. Like, I think we've just only scraped the surface. So I don't want to ridicule them too hard, like right now, because I think what they're more or less doing is saying, this is what's going on. Obviously they have a lot of sway and I'm sure they have a lot of connections to make this stuff happen. I'm not doubting that, but what I'm saying is, you know, from the out, like from what they're saying, this whole thing is, is, is just postulating in suggestions and they're urging politicians and world powers, hey, this is kind of how the world should format. It's it's simply like I, I feel like it's simply a template, like or a format that they're kind of putting out there and saying these are a bunch of studies we've gotten from this is all a bunch of past data and this is our take on it. To to your point, I'm sure they have the power and leverage to make it happen, but like you know, so is, so I don't know. You you could build conspiracies on it all day. I'm sure. I'm not trying to build conspiracies. I'm just saying, like you and me well, looking I mean, well, over you the. Could and I, so I, why, why I, is their analysis <laughs> of this this thing, you know, better than your and I's? I mean, yes, you say there, there's a bunch of stuff effort they put into it. When we get into that, I'll I'll be the judge of that. But I'm just I don't know. I'm just I, I a, I'm just a cynical, grumpy old man. So no, um, it's okay. And and honestly, I had that kind of mindset going into this. I was like, okay, I'm. But, but, but then I, I was kind of convinced otherwise to really, I mean, yeah, I'm still reading it critically, but they don't seem to be like, this is the only way, you know, one world power. I think that's the idea everybody has. They, they kind of do call, I mean, ironically, they do call for like more co cooperation between countries, but there is just, they're just basically, I don't think they're saying like, we know better, better than you, but they kind of, I mean, they sort of, they kind might of because <laughs> yeah, but they've looked at it from like a global perspective. It's, it's again, it's very high level at this point, what I've seen. And again, they do dig into case studies, but like, yeah, but macro and micro are very different. <laughs> and that's kind of my uh, thing. Like, it, like if they want to yeah, sit up I mean, there and say, here has, here's the data we've collected, what we've observed, here's some potential issues that we need to look out for. Here's kind of what we think that you guys should kind of pay attention to and leave it at that. That would be okay because then, like, the CEO of our company could hear this and be like, "Hey, with working from home, you've got these potential risks and you've got these benefits, and then here you go and leave it at that." And then my CEO can say, um, "Okay, well, based on how we work, I think this this kind of risk is not so important to us, but the, the benefit's good, so we're going to keep working from home." Right, right, right. That's so, what well, it should be thing. only. That's Except they're Especially trying to influence like policy to. as well. I get in it. Yeah. Corporations. That's the part that I don't like. I mean, I I don't know that they necessarily are saying like this is what the policy should be. They're just saying let's just get into it because I don't know. Let's just can we? Can, I think we should keep going because this stuff is it sort of is addressed in in different ways. I think. Keep going. They do with. keep it sort of vague, but like they address it. And I'm, again, I'm trying to say, like, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm sure that they have other articles that dig into this and why they suggest it is what I'm saying. Then it's just up to, you know, countries to either say yes or no. I mean, I think. But anyways, I think we should move on. Yeah. Sure. Are, are you good with that? I, I get what you're saying, and I, 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 I don't know. Let's just go on. Okay. 
<laughs> I mean, because they address some of it. Okay, so so growing income inequality is the next thing. They're saying compared to 2008 and 2011 recessions, with a high, uh, with a high little below 10%. So okay, wait, hold on, sorry. So compared to 2008 and 2011 recessions, they had a high of 10% unemployment. Last year's pandemic-driven recession saw, and they noted like uh, that there's a huge difference of unemployment with class dis discrepancy. They noted that there was a high of 30% unemployment. Okay, from just last year, so that's tr you know triple what it what we saw in like 2008, 2011 is what they're basically saying. Maybe you should lock down. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I think that I would agree that's probably a huge uh, contributor. But they basically say you know um, with the the first the top one percent or not top one percent sorry they say with um, you know. There's a phenomenon where the highest earners, I don't know how they classify it, but they say the highest earners only saw a low 5% unemployment in the job market last year. And the lowest earners are the ones that saw 30%. That's insane, dude. Which I would agree is probably a huge contributor is the lockdowns because that got rid of a lot of, uh, you know, service industry jobs with, you know, sir, you know, waitresses, waiters, um, you know, hotel uh, maids and Yeah, this, this stat falls under no shit Sherlock category. <laughs> Right. So that's the thing is they do propose a lot of this stuff and it's almost like you could you could almost dig in and get into like, well, are they sort of some of the powers that even made this happen in the first place? I mean, that I'm, I don't know. But anyway, well, I'm saving that for just, the end. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, they're just basically bringing up, OK, this is what's happening. So there's all this unemployment and it's it's like triple what we saw in 2008. OK. Then they go on, they say, uh, this is a direct quote, they say, estimates by the World Bank suggest that without intervention, the pandemic could push 100 million people into extreme poverty by the end of 2020, which is increased, uh, uh, and they predict it would increase to 150 million in 2021 under the most severe uh, economic scenarios. And then they say food in insecurity is estimated to have increased by 120 million, uh, 121 million to 270 million uh, by the end of 2020. That's, I mean, that's pretty crazy. And then you so, could always be like, well, is that because of Yemen? Is that a big part of it, which America's causing? Like, <laughs> you and your Yemen thing. I swear. Dude, it's sad. <laughs> um, it, this is all what... They're, they're saying all of this is because of coronavirus. No, it's not. It's because of lockdown. And I don't like that they're not saying that right we don't know what the effects of covid would have been if we had let it alone we have no idea oh, so so the, all of these in comparing it to 2008 that's completely pointless like it has nothing this is not a natural phenomenon this is a constructed phenomenon they the powers that be locked us down and it it's and this is the part where like how can you not look at this from a conspiracy conspiracy standpoint? Like the it's either these people are complete idiots and had no idea what was going to happen if they locked down, or they knew what was going to happen when we locked down. Like I, I, there's so no that they can like report out on it later. <laughs> like I mean, yeah, I don't get it. So yeah, they're reporting on these numbers and how horrible they are. It's because of a man instituted lockdown. Good job. Yeah, I get I get your point. No, I know. I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, they, well, I'm not not to that level, but I did keep thinking to myself, like, I mean, this wasn't always just, you know, it's not like this just happened. I mean, it was kind of mandated. Yeah. So all and these unemployment the, numbers and all this stuff, like, 
it's it's your fault so it's like artificially inflated <laughs> right yeah so which is weird because then they go they go on to talk about how like due to this current state of things um governments should like are basically going to grow and have like have to support more people and it's like you could argue again like well the only reason they're in that situation is because you basically told them they can't work i agree i mean when when all these small businesses shut down dude it's like you know i've, I've argued with people where i'm like dude you know we talked about it last week i was like you know they they're all of a sudden accountable even when like when the government tells them they can't operate but like you know wall street if they go broke like they get they get support it's like why, why yeah, is that yeah. it doesn't mean you know these are just small business owners that are trying to you know support their family or whatever and make their dream happen and then when you tell them yeah you can't do that then it's like well they're gonna make my you know sister sick it's like well or my, my brother or my mom yeah. or like my grandpa it's like dude yeah i get it but like i don't know man you can't tell them they just can't work like it doesn't really make sense to me either anyways yeah, so I, do this, this, I hear what you're saying and yeah, I do, so, I, I so the whole point of this they're saying in their words coronavirus is causing more income inequality right that's kind of their their thing uh, yeah, I mean, but they do state, that, and it's true that like it's been happening even before. Honestly, a lot of what they say is like, and again, why I'm not, I, I think, being as critical as you are is because they do say like, the, the, and recognize in these articles that it's been, it was looming even before coronavirus. Coronavirus just like it sort of spurred it on even more. That's subjective. I don't think I don't think that is. Subjective. But again, and I here's mean, the funny ironic part, we're having the 1% lecture us about income inequality. Like I know, and they're off. the ones who got the biggest grab from, you know, they're the ones who were able to uh capitalize the most from Corona. No, I agree. I mean, it's all misconstrued in all these ways, but but to their point, I mean, and I'm not trying I mean, I guess in their defense, like they do acknowledge that it's and I mean, in, income inequality has been growing. I mean, pretty much all around the world if you look at it. Um it, it's always been a thing. As soon as there's a dip or recession, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And it's the idea that Marx had, man. Like, uh, the elites are going to constantly be getting pushed down into the lower class other than the very, very top that control it. So I think we've been seeing it forever. I don't really think that it, that is something that just came out of nowhere. But again, um, and it's still funny, just the people that are complain about income inequality the most are the 1%. And it's very they're the ones confusing. That are yeah. No, I agree. It's stupid. Yeah. And then a lot of the times their proposition is like tax more. And it's like, well, but that's what? Like that's taking even more from us. So what do you mean? Like, I get it. But let's just let's continue forward because they got a lot to say and we got a lot to cover. Um, so they basically the third point of risk area of risk is the acceleration and concentration of the digital economy. They identified as a risk, rightfully so. Um, they note that Amazon expanded their workforce by more than 427,000 people over 10 months, which is insane to me. Um, and they go on to mention that the number of people working virtually has skyrocketed. Zoom hosted 300 million meetings a day uh, at one. You know, I don't know if that's still the current stat, but that's crazy, dude. Like, and so that's what I'm trying to say is all of these are sort of intertwined. You know, they talk about working remotely. Okay, well that's you know, connected to the acceleration of digital economy. Uh, you know what I mean? And then you could also throw in that growing income inequality is sort of attributed to that because if you can't work remotely, which more like of the top level, not top level, but uh, I guess career like desk jobs, you can work remote. And those are, those tend to pay higher is what I'm trying to say. So, yeah. so it's, it is all like, in, you know, it's all intertwined because it's like, okay, if you have the setup for a digital economy, then you're incoming, you're going to get, you could possibly get wealthier. And then people that don't have it are already probably 
less fortunate and now they're going to become even you know more less fortunate um anyways so then they go on to mention uh they say you know all this is to say that the accessibility of some work and also errands through uh like errands you know like uh, paying things or whatever through virtual environments it's allowed the digital economy to grow more rapidly because um you know, we've, we've already had apps like Ant. In, well, I mean, that's in China. They had Ant Financial, so they can make payments. You know, we had Amazon already. It just grew from this. And so that's they're, they're basically saying, like, Amazon was set up. It allowed us to function in a closed, uh, you know, work setting, you know, more remote work setting. Uh, but at the same time, it's accelerated the companies that allowed that to work. So they're identifying it as a risk and saying, you know, I don't know. They have to, we have to keep them in check. Um, but there, you know, it's important to note also that the growing demand for virtual work and automation uh, will affect people who have like shitty internet, basically. Um, so that's, I mean, that, even that's something to think about, you know, which could uh, and kind of does lead to our next topic of risk: um, bigger government, because you could kind of say like the way that that's connected is now the government has a kind of a platform to stand on and say, hey, we need to like set up. You know, cell towers everywhere, so that everyone has has a uh, good good um, internet access. And then, meanwhile, it just like allows them to spy more on us um, and basically subsidize uh, you know big companies like AT and T and Verizon who don't really need to grow any bigger. Whatever, I digress. But that uh, you know that that's what they'll say. Hey, well, every, we found that people you know need good internet to work remote so let's uh have the government basically just set up all these towers for better or worse i don't know you decide um a 5g episode to come <laughs> so this <laughs> so this leads to the fourth topic bigger government i've got you know, a lot that i wrote about and again they're saying it's a risk they're not saying that it should be bigger government they're just saying like this is a risk um and some facts they have on this um uh you know, um, let's see. Well, first of all, through a lot of this reading that I've been doing, they basically said that like trust in government has felt as well in 2020, and they're basically saying like we need to figure out how to rebuild trust in government. It's like maybe we shouldn't, but anyways. <laughs> uh, so anyways, so back to the Davos report though. Um, they said out of the the G20 countries, which are like I from what I understand like the richest 20 countries in the world, I think. Uh, fact check me, but it's basically 20 of the super wealthy countries. Out of those countries, um, 10% of government, there was $10 mil, trillion, dollars, sorry, of government spending uh, in 2020. I mean, that's pretty immense. Um, yeah. Uh, this primarily went to loans, grants, and guarantees on houses and businesses. And then the other portion went to stimulus funds. Um, big businesses, by the way. Most of it went to business. Yeah, big business, I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, so then here's a quote, uh, in some cases, although not systematically, uh, or systematically, okay, sorry. In some cases, although not systematically, governments have attached conditions to support measures such as loans, uh, or such as bans on dividend payouts and on layoffs or conditions related to environmental performance. Pledges of stimulus spending have in some cases been directly geared towards transforming, um, as opposed to rebuilding the economy. So I don't really know if you want to comment on that but um it's basically saying that government's putting like measures in place not not so much legislation but they'll put certain things in place that bans like uh dividend payouts and layoffs which is weird uh, i don't know i don't know i don't really understand this like what they're trying to get at but 
they basically say a lot of the stimulus went into you know directly gearing up for the rebuilding of the economy. What I take away from that, especially after reading uh, a lot of uh, you know other articles from this these reports, when they say that they're like they're banning layoffs and dividend payouts, to me that means, and, and then they say that it's other than you know. I, I don't know. I, it, to me, it sounds like they're picking and choosing. Okay, this company is like complying by what we want for the future, and we're going to say that it's under sustainability. So, okay, they have less tra- like emissions, so we'll give them. I, I don't know what this is saying exactly. I mean, it's like in some cases, although not systematically, governments have attached conditions to support measures such as bans on dividend payouts and layoffs or conditions related to environmental performance. Pledges of stimulus spending have in some cases been directly geared towards transforming as opposed to rebuilding the economy. So, I don't know, man. To me, it sounds like they're just giving like benefits to companies that kind of fall in line with this whole Great Reset. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's what I get from But that. they're saying that governments have been doing that. They're not saying that they, you know, the Davos report, they're, they're noting that that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. So here's an example of what I was just saying. So 2020, the EU committed uh, 20% of its fiscal stimulus to accelerate the transition to a green economy and the pledge by the incoming uh, U.S. government to boost small businesses with a view to achieve diversity and social justice objectives. I, that one it really kind of gets me because I, I don't know. I, yes, we should be diverse and all-inclusive, but like when you start saying like you have to have X amount of people that are like, you know, st- like straight or, you know, gay and whatever. Uh, when you start mandating companies, uh, that's kind of weird to me. I, I don't really want to get into it, but yeah. how are you going to tell them, like, who they have to hire? That's kind of weird to me. Um, but to my point, to your point earlier, talking about, like, are they just uh, postulating or what are they doing? I mean, it's almost like they are kind of suggesting, like, comp- like com- they're only reporting out, like, yeah, there are a lot of countries that are um, giving stimulus only to the companies that promote what we're talking about is basically what they're saying which it's like not everyone agrees with that um so you know and if you're picking and choosing who gets grants based on like okay how sustainable are you i mean and and again i don't know sustainability isn't even fully recognized i feel like that that's another one of those words where they just say it and it's like dude people think that like electric cars are sustainable means of transportations and they're not dude like they are just not um the lithium, okay, I read it, uh, a statistic last week. I think it's, I, you know, you have to fact check me again, but I think what I read was that two-thirds of the world's, like, available supply of cobalt is already consumed. Cobalt goes into a lot of electronics and, like, uh, you know, these battery-operated things. So if two-thirds of the available cobalt is already taken up, A, that means probably invest in companies that are researching other cobalt sources, but B, to me, that shows like how unsustainable, for instance, electric cars are. So when they're saying like, yeah, we're giving all these loans to like sustainable companies, it's like, well, we don't even know what that is really. And, and just for example, like I saw another thing, video that my buddy sent me on Instagram, uh, this guy explaining, you know, why is our energy bill so expensive? Like energy is one of those things where as you grow, as the industry grows, it just naturally gets way cheaper to harness it. And the, the only reason it is is because, you know, it's they tax like a ton of it just goes to taxes for like the government and also for like uh, sustainable energy. 
But what, what people don't understand is like a lot of that sustainable energy, like windmills and stuff, like they take up a ton of land, first of all. They kill birds. I mean, I know that's a stupid talking point, but they do kill birds. I mean, I, I love birds, dude. They're like my favorite animal, and they kill them. It's sad. But and then they also note that there's backup generators, basically, for when Mother Nature doesn't, um, you know, uh, provide the energy needed for that day. They have backup generators that run on, you know, natural gas. And this this dude in the video is also talking how, I, again, fact check me, but you know, since some time period, you know, we've the com the whole world has uh dropped its emissions just from transitioning from coal to natural gas like the world emissions dropped by like 75 percent, something like that wow. and so what he's saying is like we already had clean energy with natural gas like we could just for instance you know figure out better ways of combusting it possibly um and he's saying and you know like and then when you even look at it like these sustainable quote-unquote sustainable alternatives are like not really that sustainable um because again, you need backup generators that run on natural gas, anyways, and um, yeah, it's just you know Here's the only the... reason that they're there is because we've artificially cheapened natural or uh, like sustainable energy. And again, it's like not even sustainable, really. But go ahead. And like the fun part about electric cars is okay, the car doesn't produce emissions, but you have to charge it, and that charge right. comes from where? It's not wind. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, so the way it's always been explained to me is, you know, it's more environmentally efficient at like at the pump. But other than at the pump, like the production that goes into making these cars, it's, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, and you've made it this far, first of all, God bless. But <laughs> second of all, um, uh, you know, Google, you know, something like lithium or possibly, I haven't looked cobalt up but probably cobalt as well look up like lithium mining field and you'll see what i'm talking about it's just these giant trenches in the in the earth that are giant holes that are very systematically carved out and it's like it, to me it looks like just a giant waste of land because like now everything around it's just like uh either gonna crumble into it or i don't even know but it's sketchy you know and just the topography just gets totally destroyed from this stuff man and um do you remember hydrogen cars? Those, I think, are the those should should be the future. Yes, there's. I mean, so, out here in California, there's a lot of uh, the Toyota Mirai, Myra, or something. That's the hydrogen car that's out here. But oh, they actually continue. have one. Yeah, I had no so idea. Sick. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. It looks. I like it. I like it. It looks kind of dumb. So like maybe we'll do a, a, one of our like quick episodes we'll talk about that like hydrogen cars were smeared and just said oh they'll just explode because you know somebody had interest somewhere that didn't want hydrogen cars so just uh keep that but in mind. i'm pretty sure i looked this up a, a, a little bit ago and it said there's some sort of you know fail safe uh mechanism where if like the car car crashes like it's almost I, from what i understand it's like impossible for it to explode yeah i, I do I not it. think that i think it's engineered to not have, i mean dude I don't know if I brought it up before, but there's a documentary I saw a long time ago called Gas Hole, and it goes into how this dude in, I think, Nevada or something built an engine that went 100 miles on one gallon of gas in the 1960s, I think. So, yeah. again, when they say sustainable, it's like, well, that's not even fully recognized, but they, but the whole 
worldview is like been pushed on us, you know, what sustainability is. And to me, if you dig in, it's really not sustainable. And it almost justifies like governments buying up more land for this sustainable energy. And then it's like, okay, now you own all this land for these giant ass mills and these huge solar panels. Why didn't you just put them all on roofs of people's houses? That covers more land and it doesn't take up all this space. So I digress, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, it's just not sustainability isn't fully recognized and we shouldn't just keep on assuming that what we have is sustainable energy because it's really not i don't think maybe i don't know what i'm talking about correct me if i'm wrong um anyways um let's see yeah so then they also note that through the stimulus um that went on with with this big government boom in 2020 like with all the stimulus and whatnot um there was a lot of kind of shady governance of the money is what they talk about. So, for instance, the CARES Act, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned it before, is like, what, I think $3 trillion allocated to the people and then something like $5 trillion or more allocated to, like, the top 1% businesses. So, yeah, okay, you can make an argument out of that why that happened, but it just, the optics of it are bad. So, what they're saying is, you know, a lot of this quote-unquote philanthropy through the stimulus and whatnot um, kind of lot, lot, made people lose a lot of trust in the government and how they manage things. So, they're basically saying that you know, to mitigate the risk of like this big government um, and this inevitable giant like government control, uh, you know, the government needs to be more transition, uh, transparent and precise with how they manage everything. So that's a good, so that's what I'm saying. They are, you know, they're saying good stuff. It's just, I don't know. They're saying, they're just noting what's going on and telling them like, okay, you guys need to be more transit, transparent, more precise with how you're dealing with situations rather than just kind of throwing things at the wall. Cause you know, there's a looming debt crisis. There's, you know, possible inflation, all this stuff going on, and it's all due to the government. So, huh. anything to say, Lee? Was that the last point, or are there more points? There's one more from, okay. from this section. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have much to say on that one. So they're saying government growth is a risk? Yes. Okay, well, that's fine. They're saying big, they're, they identified bigger government as a risk, and then they just noted everything that went on, okay. you know, um, okay? So, okay, so deglobalization is their fifth and I believe final risk that they identified in this article. Um, so, they kind of say uh, that, hold on, okay, so, oh yeah, so they, they talk about how like the deglobalization section out of these is probably they say that you know it's probably the least impactful because we're seeing deglobalization but they think it'll snap back pretty quickly um which is weird because you know i've been reading a lot of like countries are uh, at least last year a lot of con like things i read were like countries are going to start moving away from uh you know globalization but you know i think i'm going to get to it later these uh, these davos reports actually note something really interesting how probably what's going to, what should and, and probably will happen is there's going to be like, well, I'll get, I'll get to it, but it's like, there's going to be a larger supply chain globally, but there's also going to be more like regional production of things is what they're saying. Um, but let's, let's move on. So, um, so yeah, so they talk about how, you know, deglobalization is, is a risk, but they don't think it's as big of a risk. I don't know if I agree with that completely. Um, uh, but they say in the report, they, uh, bring up two points to deglobalization a they say the lockdown closing many uh closed many manufacturing jobs um and then and that kind of you know ruined a lot of you know local jobs so there you know there's a possibility of like 
deglobalization as in bringing like manufacturing jobs back home. So they bring that up, you know, just as like a sub point to deglobaliza uh, deglobalization is that lockdown destroyed a lot of manufacturing jobs. And then they go on to mention the extent of the global restricted uh, or that there's, there's like extensive global restricted trade last year as well. And they say that there was a staggering 1800 measures um, between global trade last year on restrictions. So this leads to the first impact, the uh, big impact that they mentioned, which is the greater diversification of supply chains located in greater regional proximity. That's what I was talking about earlier. They're basically saying since all these manufacturing jobs got destroyed, and since there's there's more control on where imports and exports are going globally, um, there's probably going to be a diversification of the supply chains, and it's going to be like locally generated, sort of. So instead of bringing having like jobs outsourced, just bring them back home. Um, but then also like you know hopefully like we can also trade uh, because we'll be more efficient like locally and then we'll have more to trade and they might be better at making something locally and you get the point um, comparative advantage whatever so uh, the second impact from the globalization that they bring up uh, is the that there will be likely like more tech rivalries so there will be more possible restrictions on um, you know. I don't know. This one's weird to me because it's like we did see sort of like leaning towards restricting tech from other countries last year, but it didn't really come to fruition. Um, but they're basically they're just saying like there's more rivalries now that are global tech companies. So yeah, do with that what you will. Um, anyways, so what's the point of explaining all of this? These these risks. Uh, they mention how it will have fiscal. Um, you know implications so the you know the one that's pretty obvious is that through all of this big tech and you know larger uh larger technology growing you know bigger government more remote work all this stuff you know um through this all with all the borrowing the 10 trillion dollars uh there's gonna be a giant you know debt to gdp uh debt to gdp ratio and it's basically what they're saying is gonna cause like a looming uh debt crisis so, um, well, that I don't know. Exists. <laughs> yeah, but they're saying that it's going to grow um, by 15 to 20% in the high income countries because they just doled out a bunch of cash. So, the question kind of comes up they say, like, and they, they show charts for this. The question arises should governments that have the ability to spend, like, they basically say, the, uh, should governments spend their local currency as if they don't have risk? And they, they sort of ask this question, and they have reports from, again, public and private sector people. Uh, they sort of tally the numbers, and um, it's split, like, evenly. It's really weird. Half people say, yes, countries should spend their local um, currency as if they don't have any risk involved. And then half of them say, no, they shouldn't do that. So the argument for it, as I've or against it, that sentiment, as I've explained, is that there's a looming debt crisis and people are just going to get taxed more and there's going to be inflation. And then the side that's for it argues that basically, like, well, we've already got really low interest rates, so the payback that we're going to have that we're going to accrue is going to be small. And on top of that, like the fact that everyone's jobless um, is already going to cause debt because like there's no spending going on. So give people money so they can continue to stimulate the economy and keep money in motion. 
Um, it's like, you know, the velocity of, of cash is, is a thing. So if money stops moving, I mean, that's a good point. Like, then, not, then everything shuts down, you know? But you just got to balance it out. Like, how much money do we give, I guess, is probably the question. But, um, and like, to whom does it go to? And, uh, yeah, so that's kind of like what the two arguments are and why it's so evenly divided on whether they agree or disagree. Uh, but it seems to be a general consensus that people agree that the payment for this debt that's accrued should uh, start in 2024 or later. So I, that's kind of interesting. I don't know how they decided that, but most everybody is like, yeah, all this debt that's coming up, like we should wait and hold it off until at least 2024 to pay it back. So invest in Dogecoin. I am not a financial advisor. <laughs> hey, man, it's surging, bro, because of Elon Musk. Yeah, dude. Surged a little bit. I don't know. Cool stuff. Um, anyways, is, do you, anything, any comment, bro? I don't know if I'm even, I feel like I'm all over the place with this, but. Um, I don't know. Where should I start? Give me a starting point, and I'll just ramble. And rant. I mean, either a starting point, or we could move on to the other article that I took some notes on. All right, you can do that. So the second article is principles for strengthening global cooperation, and this is the one where I feel like you could build the most conspiracy out of, and sort of be like, "Damn, I, you know, you got to question a lot of this stuff." I think because it was like a three-page thing, and it had a lot of agenda in it built in it. So. This one talked about the need for more global cooperation, even though prior to COVID, I might know we were seeing countries divide, like I said before, and um, the pandemic only exacerbated. So I kind of question, like, why are you calling for a more global cooperation? Like, maybe this is like a natural sign that we shouldn't be so global. I'm not saying hate the whole other countries, but I'm saying like, maybe we shouldn't focus on the globe and we should focus on just like regional and local. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I found it a little bit ironic. It's like, okay, yeah, we've seen that global economy doesn't really work when there's a huge pandemic, so why would we try to like promote globalization more? Maybe we should be more regional. Yeah, so super globalization only works if there's, this is a trigger word, a new world order, right? There's got to be somebody in charge of the on a global scale. And I'm not cool with that. So in that regard, I would just say, like, do local, but be open to global trading if it benefits you and the other country. Like, I'm not I'm not like don't trade with anybody ever. But also, like, don't don't just do you have to keep your own country in mind, too. You have to find a balance. So, right, so I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not globalist, not anti-globalist. I'm just kind of like, just, just keep things in mind. Like, just you know. what kind of weirds me out about this whole thing is at the end of the, of their opening and saying like we need more globalization, you know, cooperation. Um, they basically say uh, and admit that you know, I don't know. Okay. It's just, they almost, this, this article did make me start to be like, okay, what, like they are pushing an agenda to, to what you were saying earlier in the, in the episode. Like they have an agenda that they do seem to be pushing, right? And um, at first they say like, we need to not, dis, not dwell on the past. We need to focus on a new world order. 
But then when it comes to globalization, they say like, no, we need to continue globalization, but it just needs to be adjusted. Okay, so let me just ask this because we're, I don't know. The next part, it could come on. I, I could become, you know, I, I could be whatever. I don't know. People could tag me as many things. But what I'm trying to say that aren't true, but what I'm trying to say is like, um, you know, they cite that globalization must continue, right? Saying that, you know, we shouldn't dwell in the past because it didn't work. Did, I mean, question, like, do you think globalization worked and came to fruition as, as you know, everybody thought it would? Like, oh, we'd have all these advantages and it'll, it'll help peace bringing and all this stuff. Like, do you think that that happened or not? I, I don't know. To an extent, I think it did. But it, I think globalization on a lot of levels has kind of failed. And we saw that with the pandemic because as soon as you shut everything down, like, it's just, it just doesn't work. It just stops working. Yeah, I think they... They took it too far, and I, I, I think country, they were embracing globalism for the sake of globalism when they really shouldn't. Like, you should embrace globalism when it benefits you. And I'm sure that's an unpopular opinion, but that's what you should do, and that's the, what the other country should do. And but just the like, just, just both like sides always benefit. That's why globalization was, was such a good idea, and it's at its inception is that both parties will benefit because you can yield more output. Right, sort of. But then, but then, and and there was the idea that like if everyone's relying on each other, then it'll help bring peace. Which uh, that could mm. be argued because mm. you know in globalizing the world, we've also taken over small places and bombed the hell out of them again, Yemen for their natural resources to sort of keep globalization churning, right? So they say we need to keep globalization going, but it needs adjustments. And then they specifically say it needs adjustments with racism. I, I, I don't know. Like, obviously, if you're globalizing, you should globalize with all cultures in mind. That's that's totally accurate. And I agree with that. But what I'm saying is, like, is racism the reason globalization didn't work? It may, maybe it was. I don't know. Maybe it's like we hate all these, you know, colored people over here, so we're going to bomb that place for their resources, and that's why we aren't bombing elsewhere. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, like, is racism really like the biggest crux of it? Again, it could be, but like, it, when what I'm trying to say is, like, I always kind of heed a warning when I see this, like, this rhetoric thrown into a document that's talking about world economy because it's like, again, they were saying. We shouldn't dwell in the past, but we should. But then they're kind of talking out of the side of their mouth and saying, "But we should keep globalization uh, growing." And then when they say, and it's it's based on this thing that is inarguably like everybody agrees we shouldn't be racist, and it's like well, as soon as you throw that in there, then like everyone does jump on board with globalization because they're like, "Oh, it's it's associated with that." Then yeah, if it's going to get rid of that right. bad thing, yeah, I'll jump on. Yeah, that's all I'm trying to say. Like people could call me out and say all this horrible thing. I'm not trying. I'm trying to get at the point is like when they throw this rhetoric in there, it's like it all it already causes bias in people's outlook on globalization. Right. That's you why you throw in. Yeah, there are certain keywords like that that you throw in that will get everybody on your side because they're too afraid that they'll be labeled as such by disagreeing with you. That's just that's just what it so is. So it's like, was that the real reason globalization has ultimately like failed in a lot of ways? I, I don't know. Maybe it is. But no. if it's not, why so. is that being the main source of, of fixing i mean yes of course it should be fixed but what i'm saying is so to me yeah it sounds like they don't, they know the real reason and they don't want to admit it is that globalization is not just it pure globalization is not the best idea and like what i was going to say is that globalism from their perspective works fantastically 
But what it doesn't work for fantastically is each of the countries. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of times there are countries that get the short end of the stick and then the bigger country gets the good end of the stick. Um, so it sucks for that country. However, at the top level for somebody like these these people, um, it looks good because it does benefit them. It does move smoothly. Um, it's just better from their perspective, but it's not from the individual countries, from the local level. Uh, I think that's the issue. Um, people embrace globalism for the sake of globalism, but um, they failed to take into account what it's going to do to their own country. And for some right. reason, well, for some reason, also- that's been demonized, saying like calling that like nationalist, which well, no, it, I mean, is could- a bad word now too for some reason. But like, you have to do what's best for your country. But don't be, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't picture people saying, "Well, we're not trading with China because we hate Asian people." It, it's not like that. It's more like, "Well, we don't want to trade with China because that's not good for us," you know. Well, yeah, and I mean, you could you could also go the opposite way and say, like, you could um, argue against globalism by saying, "Look at what it does to other countries." That's because when you look at China, man, um, they. You know, in China, dude, they, they like, and I, I don't remember, I read this years and years ago, but it's it, something about, basically, when we globalized, you know, China got a lot of, like, jobs outsourced to them from the United States, right? So, when that happened, it, it, it allowed them to industrialize quicker. Well, with that industrialization, brought a lot of pollution. So, a lot of people know China as being very polluted. Um, this article that I read was talking about how, and I'm kind of, you know, it's an educated guess. Again, fact check me, but it's something like 70% of their pollution is caused by demand from America. So they're only polluted because we moved jobs there, propped up factories, exploited their labor, their cheap labor. And so like, you know, we're in some ways, you know, like what you were saying, I, I don't know exactly, but you know, possibly we're getting screwed by deals with China, but at the same time, they're, they're getting screwed over too, because like their general population is just unhealthier less healthy, I guess, <laughs> because now there's more pollution because we have our factories out there where, where we're buying from and that we're making it, you know, making it out there. And so yeah, but they allowed it. So, so, but again, so that's what I'm saying. So then you could also point at America and be like, you're promoting the, these, like, uh, these behaviors in other countries to ex- exploit their workforce and, and basically push their workforce down as in, you know, mentally, you know, um, emotionally because they're not getting paid. I mean, you know, you see it with Hong Kong, you know, all the strikes out there. And it's like, there's a lot of questions to ask as in like, you know, America, why are you doing business with them? Oh, well, it's globalization. It's good for the world. Well, is it though? Because you're kind of promoting them and giving them more money while they're, you know, not really giving a lot of human rights. They're putting people in internment camps in the, in Xinjiang and you're not, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it destroys both sides in a way is what I'm trying to get at. That angle so is like, right why, too. Why yeah. is it, all I'm trying to say is why is it that globalization is the one part that they're like we need to preserve this and in fact make it grow? I, like to me, that's it almost seems counterintuitive to what we've seen in the past like year. You know why? Maybe we should focus more on local. Because, because yeah, it, it makes sense. It again, it makes sense from their perspective because they are like you know we're buying. U.S. is buying supplies at the cheapest price they could possibly get 
from China, who's making it, and then they can sell it. And then it's just boosting the overall economy of the entire world. But they're not considering the consequences, such as, like you said, from your perspective, um, the quality of labor and the pollution from China, and then also like the un- unemployment and issues that we have from outsourcing to China. Like, there's just so much local problems with globalization. Um, they don't care about that though, because they're making. Yeah, it's only focused on the fact that well, we yield more this way. There's right. more output. It's like okay, yes. well, we have excess anyways of a lot of stuff. It just goes to waste. So why do we need it? You know. Uh, anyways, um, I think we can kind of move forward if you'd like. Okay. So they call for a common set of principles that can serve as a compass, due to you know to like guide a better globalization. And the principles are as follows: they have a list of seven. Um, so these principles that they basically say all gov- you know all countries and governments should follow is number one strengthen global cooperation so you know pretty obvious what we've been talking about this for the past you know 10 minutes and they call for a geo uh, geopolitical reset quote like that's how they quote it they call for a geopolitical reset uh, which is a universal priorities of peace prosperity health and sustainability again i red flags raising my head when i see all these like things that are hot button issues like Universal priorities of peace. Okay, what does that mean? Prosperity. Okay, Pro- like who is getting the prosperity? You know, like in what ways are we more prosperous? And then health and sustainability. Like, health is in what you can hook us up to a machine where we stay alive 150 years and have to work the whole time. Like, or health is in like free Medicare. You know what I mean? And then sustainability. I've already talked about that. Like, what? Okay, how are we sustain? Like, what? In what way? You know, how are we cooperating to be more sustainable? You know, like I've read a little bit of the Paris Accord and it's like, it just talks about being sustainable. There's not ever really like, this is what we're going to do. It's it, it's always just like, we're going to tax people more. And I don't really think that's sustainable, but uh, okay. Um, number two is advance peace and security. Um, they just say basically accelerate uh, peace efforts, capital investment, Steps to provide good governance and strong institutions and social cohesion. Uh, Words, yeah, uh, all right. Yeah, capital <laughs> investment, okay, so you're basically calling for the government to grow bigger. Um, steps to provide good governance, I mean, obviously you'd want that, but it never pans out. Strong institutions and social cohesion, again, strong institutions, that sounds like bigger government to me. Yeah. Um, social cohesion is almost impossible. Um, re-globalize equitably is their third point. A new global social contract. This is a direct quote. They say, quote, a new social, a new global social contract hyphen calling for closing digital divides. I don't like that at all. Supporting robust education and lifelong skills training. I agree with that reducing inequality and addressing debt burdens in lower and middle income countries as required. So again, you know, equity defined by who they want re-globalization to be more equitable. What does that mean? There's been plenty of debates. Like what does equity equity mean? And not everyone agrees with what the definition is even, but anyways, um, I don't like when they say calling for global or closing digital divides. Now, what I think they're trying to say is, you know, I don't know.
don't know. I don't like that, dude. Closing digital divides to me sounds like a very social thing. Like we don't want people to be arguing as much online. And then that just lends the whole idea of like, okay, well then censor the side that's wrong. And so, okay, who's wrong? You get what I'm saying? Closing (laughs) social or closing digital divides, or maybe they're talking about between countries. But to me, that thing alone uh, sounds like a social thing. Yeah. The other way you could take that is just a um, get everybody on the same technological page because some people are not in the 21st century. And and, I, and that's fine. But what I'm saying is when they close, they, all they say is closing digital divides. What I, I, yeah, it's so vague. That leaves room, what are you so about? much room for interpretation. Like, are you talking about social digital divides? Like, people talking online and forming opinions? Or are you talking about, like, you know, everybody should get cell towers you know put up in their country i like what is i don't know yeah. it's up to interpretation i feel like um <laughs> the rest of it i mean yeah sounds good to me um promote gender equality so this one's pretty obvious too um uh, while rebuilding you know just like include more women because they note that uh more countries that are inclusive like gender inclusive um tend to be more they say sustainable and uh, prosperous so you know that yeah i don't know um i guess i mean you could also say you know what's up so i guess like my comment on that is like what exactly do they mean so to me like gender equality just means hey if you're a woman and you want to do this job that's stereotypically male you can like that's all it should mean but are they talking about like you know quotas (laughs) Which is ridiculous. Again, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Quotas I don't really agree with. Um, but I don't know. And I mean, even even still, you could say, and, and dude, this is not a knock on women's rights, but I'm saying in Japan, like, it's it kind of shows that, you know, in Japan, uh, once women started, you know, working more out there, now, like, they have a giant population crisis. So, like, again, you got to take everything into account. Like, I agree with you. It's like, if, if you're a woman and you want to get a job, like, yes, you should be able to get that job. That's what equality means but it shouldn't be like all you know women have to work because if they don't want to and they want to raise a family or and vice versa like if a dude wants to sit home and raise a family too like more power to him dude not sit at home that's that was phrased very poorly but if you want to be at home and you know raise (laughs) your kids like you know what i'm saying like that's and other countries are way better about that because they give men you know like nine months of paternity leave stuff like that and like to me that's that is gender equality like allowing women and men to have the same time with their kids um not so much quotas and saying hey you, you got to have like x amount of women staff or male staff or whatever it is um anyways yeah and it's that's I, I think we're on the same page where it's just kind of like um if you poll if you do a study that says you know 90 percent of manufacturing engineers are male and 10 percent are female you shouldn't be like is this racism like no or sorry sexism no it's just you know you can dig into it if you want but like again like we shouldn't be i don't know there's the weird the weird thing where we think that if we look at our population and x percent is female then that means in every industry x percent of female of job positions should be female like that's i think we can both agree that that's ridiculous yeah i mean but we have to but you know but the the thing we should be striving for is to make sure if somebody wants to pursue that career that they are not rejected that career because of 
their gender or because of their race or because of whatever like that that's what we should be after but not trying to get the statistics to look correct you know right i agree if that makes I sense but yeah. all right uh fifth point is rebuild sustainability when reconstructing you know global uh globalization and um they, they quote they say uh, measures that promote recovery including extraordinary stimulus funding should advance carbon neutral products and practices and be undertaken in a way that is consistent with the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. I don't know what that is. I haven't read it, but, um, you know, I get, again, you know, I, I, dude, I love nature more, you know, more than the next person. I, I, lo- I go on hikes like every week, you know, I love being outside, but again, like when, when they're just saying like, you know, give stimulus to carbon neutral product, like, what does that mean? Like, how are, how is it measured? If it's truly carbon neutral, then like, I'm not talking about the end product. I'm talking about the whole, you know, chain of events leading up to building whatever it is that we're building. So not at the consumer level, I'm talking about like what, how much factory output, you know, emissions were there when building the gear on that thing, whatever. Um, it's just vague, I think anyways. Uh, and then point six, deep in uh, the public-private partnerships, they call for, quote, substantial and sustainable investments. Government and business needs to pursue financial mechanisms and partnerships to promote innovation and create enabling environments uh, for investing in and efficiently directing resources towards societal and global priorities. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and point seven, and the final one is increased global resilience. Um, quote: Increased information sharing is necessary as our revitalized trade networks in a more rules-based global trade system. End quote. I, I mean, I agree with that too. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, again, I, I really do think that the intentions are good in this. I think. Uh, I mean, that's kind of all I had to say about this so far, you know, just scraping on the surface. I do want to dig deeper into some of the specific um, suggestions that they pose. And again, maybe we can do like another episode, but, you know, this is their kind of big agenda for the Great Reset is, you know, fix globalization, be more inclusive, be more sustainable and, um, you know, kind of and be more fair globally and, and have more co- cooperation. What, you know, what do you guys think? I don't I don't know. What do you think? Do you, you know, anything to say or oh, are you burnt me? out? <laughs> no, no, oh no, I've got plenty of steam. Um, yeah, if you're a fan of like what they're doing, what the great reset is all about, you know, you should turn off the podcast at this point. Okay, so now that they're gone, um, yeah, I don't think they have the best intentions. Uh, I, I think they have their intentions in mind of. You know, we were rich and we were making good money. However, this lockdown and all this stuff has kind of, you know, impacted our bottom line. I don't like it. So how do we make sure everything runs smoothly so that we are not inconvenienced? That's kind of my takeaway from the Great Reset. And again, it's just because unless you can show to me that, hey, they actually had a bunch of regular Joe Schmoes there to also share their opinions, then I might reconsider. But like you said earlier, to my knowledge, this is all the 1%. So that's a big red flag that we don't have a voice in that. Um, And the fun part is uh, this 
crisis that we're in, all these problems that have come, is because of them. It's not because of us. Like, they set all these things in motion, and the elites and the political powers set all of this in motion that have caused whatever is ailing them at the moment. So it's, what does this have to do with us? Nothing. Like, we're just pawns. It's yeah. yeah no i mean i would say I, I think that's definitely that's why you know going into it I, i'm i'm trying to read it with a skeptical eye because like you said it's like who's re- who's writing this is this for me or is this just for their own sort of gain yeah and I, i'm not even throwing on like the conspiracy hat for this this is just kind of just my thoughts in general just i don't that they, they just care about themselves i don't i don't i have no feeling that they care about us or anybody honestly other than their exclusive club and it's so weird watching like i watch some of those you would send me links to like these meetings and stuff i I don't know if they were all like at davos or whatever but (laughs) the people that would call in with their questions first they would open with like oh you guys are so great this is the greatest thing you could possibly be doing oh we love you (laughs) so much here's my question and it's just like a generic question and they don't even answer half the questions i remember some guy from like africa asked like so what are you gonna do about like our countries in africa that don't have the infrastructure to kind of benefit from all these things you're proposing and they didn't answer the question (laughs) they just talked they just talked and talked for like 30 minutes and then no answer you watch more of it than i did honestly i only watched like the wow i didn't realize that that happened that's i don't remember which video it was or if it was one i found on my own but like i was just like yeah answer that question i'm curious what your answer is and they didn't answer and i was like oh what's what's interesting is well first of all i don't know if china was like involved in these meetings this these you know davos meetings i really don't but um you know to my to what i was talking about i think last week is a lot of african countries are looking to china to give them the roads and the you know, uh, cell, cell towers and all this stuff. They're, they're looking to China because they've expressed like America and the Western country, like civilization has not given us anything really is what they say. And they're like, so instead of like waiting for you guys to help us, they're like, we're taking things into our own hand and like, we're just going to work with China. And so it's like that, you know, the question that that dude asked is like, it's totally valid because I don't think Africa's really seen a lot of help from us or the Western you know civilization and then maybe here's an like an interesting question that's kind of philosophical is that are they better off than us like in this grand scheme of things africa because once they become part of this machine like then they're gonna have the same problems everyone else has yeah so like are they actually better off i mean it, it sounds weird at face value because you know i think about that a lot like would we like would would america be better off if we weren't so te- like I often think that the world like moves to it just moves faster than people are capable of keeping up with. Like like we have we're just so I don't know man we have so much stuff at our fingertips and like it's there's constantly updates in life that are just like wow okay now I have to reposition myself which is like fine humans are you know we have a brain so we can adapt but like do we like should we be adapting this much? I don't really know. <laughs> it doesn't seem right but no, I agree. It's like, are are we better off with just, uh, you know, books and yeah, like and that's my you know, <laughs> of the people that I watched that were kind of like, you know, scared of the not scared of, but like against the Great Reset is that, like, 
the the move towards what they call I guess it's a term that's been around, but like a technocracy. Um where just like technology yeah. rules everything and they're they're saying, you know, this is um, a lot of the things they want to do f- with this great reset involves a lot of tech stuff that's going to just not be beneficial. It, it's going to look like it is in like convenience because that's kind of what technology does for us. It just creates convenience. But again, tech all technology is double edged. So um, basically, it's like almost like on a from a conspiracy side is that they want to have everybody accounted for. And know what they're doing at all times is kind of the ultimate goal of, I guess, New World Order or whatever. Um, and yeah, yeah so countries, yeah, so like unde- mind yeah, so like undeveloped countries, like um, I guess there's some in the Middle East and like in Africa that they're kind Double, of like the like the wild cards right now. So if we can get them in on this, um, then we can track them and then we can be more secure. And of course, that's how they're going to pitch it is that um, the world is now safer because we can track and see everything that everybody's doing at all times. And that's, I don't know. It, it seems like it's like a 50-50 split with like half the population kind of wants that and half doesn't. Um, you know, with ultimate freedom comes risk, Uh of people yeah, doing bad things essentially but what the the N- nwo's angle is uh we will keep you completely safe <laughs> by taking your freedom away but they're freedoms you don't even really need right and that's kind of their angle. right it's it's like uh there's a, a jimmy Dore <laughs> joke where he says like the patriot act you know what that he's like it was just a big joke on the terrorists because they came over, you know, he's like, imagine, they, you know, the Patriot Act. Oh, now we need this Patriot Act to protect you against terrorists. Okay, yeah, here. You know, everybody signs off their, their personal information. And then the terrorists come over and they're like, ah, we're here to take your, your liberties and your freedom. And they're like, oh, the government already took it to the Patriot Act. <laughs> and then they're like, so you, so you get, have no gain, like, you know, coming here for that. Like, it's already been taken away from us. Ha, like, joke's on you. <laughs> yeah. I, I've even seen in the conspiracy community likening the patriot act to a lot of this like COVID and uh, great reset type stuff as just another version of that taking it yeah, a step I further so but yeah all right I-, I won't rant any further since we're at what one hour 21 minutes dang all right so yeah that's what we got for you um if you want us to dig deeper and scrutinize further um we may do that anyway or if you definitely want it, maybe, you know, we'll put extra effort into it for you. Or if you really hate it, let us know. Um, and we'll, we'll consider not doing it. And doing <laughs> something more like uh, Bigfoot is an interdimensional creature. I don't know. I believe it. We have no idea what you guys are into because uh, nobody comments on anything except, no, shout out to uh, uh, Marie. You know who you are commented on our uh our music conspiracy one she liked the frequency stuff thought it was interesting but yeah um but yeah so that, that that's my piece uh max you, you can close out the show yeah dyb podcast at gmail.com email us your thoughts uh you know this is a pretty pretty sensitive some, some sensitive topics in here so i hope you know everybody enjoyed it and 
took someone away from it, so peace and love. Adios, guys. Mm-hmm.